0: welcome to i communicate on full service radio 830 WCRN. to join the conversation call 508-871-7000
1: now here's your host mark altman good afternoon everyone welcome to i communicate the mindset go radio show uh Always happy to be back here with, uh, now I have two partners in crime. I got my buddy, Ted, producer, and I got my right-hand man, Joe Lyman. So uh, Welcome back. Good to be back with you guys. Good
2: to be here. Thank you.
1: So I just got to tell you something, both both of you, something so random. So as I mentioned on a previous show, uh, I have such a passion for music. And the song I was listening to driving into studio today was by, you know, one of the greatest collections of talent groups of all time, the Traveling Wilburys. Oh, yeah. Was so great, right? Yeah, absolutely. And the song I was listening to is Tweeter and the Monkey Man. Yeah. Which is just the best song, <laughs> right? <laughs> Written by, um, uh, uh,
0: the, uh, not the oldest one in the group, the youngest one in the group. Je- not Jeff Lynne? Or- no, no, not Jeff Lynne. Um, the Heartbreakers. Tom Petty. Tom, Tom Petty. Tom Petty, yeah. right.
1: Right. So he, he's, he died recently, <laughs> didn't he? Yeah. Tom- yeah, he died. Yeah. So anyway, uh, put me in such a great mood, Tom Petty. And i gotta t- I got to share something, both of you. I debated whether or not I was going to say this on the show today, but I'm just in such a positive state of mind. After a 10-year search, I have located the woman of my dreams. All right! <laughs> so I am just like on cloud nine because I, you know, it's so funny. We talk on the show a lot about, you know, we, Joe and I did the show on instant and delayed gratification and we talk about different topics. And I think one of the hardest things to do with relationships and people is to be patient, you know, and to allow things to evolve and, to, and not settle and go forward. And I, and I feel like so much of what I've tried to do over the course of my life is to uh, believe in high standards and relationships and want the best. And so, and so, yeah, I met this woman. She's amazing. So I'm just super fired up these days wow I, I can't begin to tell you how happy I am for you Thanks, because man. this is
2: partners are partners are gold right and so when you strike it you it's pretty freaking amazing
1: that's great I I you know what I will accept my standing ovation for that if it was a standing <laughs> ovation I don't even know if it was a standing ovation but we well, just got to look at this studio audience you know we, we we pay them to be here it's unbelievable I can't even believe how many people were here today when Joe and I showed up it was crazy well when
0: they knew you were coming
1: they Gave us the money back. Right, right. Oh, jeez. Good <laughs> Lord. Uh okay, so here we are. So, you know, one of the things we try to do on this show is, you know, we really, you know, I think about topics and I try to be a little bit outside the box. You know, we're always trying to focus on topics around communication, around leadership, emotional intelligence, sales, things like that. We always want it to revolve around that because You know, Joe and I are big advocates of we want to make sure we're adding value to people and so on and so forth. And so today, we we came up with a bit of an interesting spin, right? We're talking about the concept of virtual parenting relative to virtual leadership and how there is such a crossover with leadership and parenting. And Joe actually posed the question to me. We were on the phone earlier in the week, and he said, what about virtual parenting? Like, what would that be like? What would it be like? And I'm talking pre-college, right? Pre where your kids go off to college or whatever they do after high school. All of a sudden, you find out you need to start parenting your kids virtually and think, what would you lose? What would suffer? How would the relationship evolve? How would it be strained? Um, How would the loss of control impact your mental and emotional state of mind? And all these questions started coming up. And the reason why Joe and I thought this would be a great topic for today is because, let's face it, it's one of the biggest topics going right now is how companies are going to adapt to virtual environments and leadership. They've already had to have been doing it the last few months, but that doesn't mean they figured it out yet, right? So, Joe, i, I got to ask you, you know, as a starting point for the show today, I was thinking if all of a sudden your kids are older, correct? That's correct. Okay. So if all of a sudden, when your kids were still in middle school or high school, someone had called you up and said, bad news, for the next six months, you're going to have to parent virtually. Like, what would have gone through your mind? What would you have been worried about?
2: I, I think the biggest thing is simply that you don't have that moment-by-moment that moment awareness of what's going on, which is parent we think is necessary. But, but one of the things that I've been contemplating uh, since we started talking about this subject is that there is a lesson in in the world of parenting that we can take from the world of leadership, which is that you should not because you cannot manage children. You can lead them, but you can't manage them because you're not in a position to dictate behavior. Right? So it's, I mean, think of it this way. You can, as a manager, you can say, this is the rule. This will be done this way. But... You're not there every minute of every day for every employee. So it's unreasonable to think, to believe, that that's what's going to happen when you're not there. Joe,
1: I, I think you literally just crush the hearts of so many parents. Because, let's face it, most parents walk around feeling the exact opposite. They feel like they can absolutely dictate behavior and control behavior. So expand on that. What do you mean in in – because – I think most people don't see it that way.
2: I I agree. So here's here's the example that I was thinking of. What happens in many cases, not most necessarily, but in many cases, clearly, when children go away for college? You said this was pre-college, and I think that's important. So what happens when children go away for college? Suddenly it is physically and mentally impossible to manage your child's day. And you can't control if they're exposed to alcohol, even though they're not of legal age. You can't control if they're exposed to drugs, even though the drugs may not be legal. You can't control who their friends are and who they spend time with anymore. You can't micromanage children when they leave and in the end, we can't micromanage employees, or we shouldn't try, when we're not around. And so we have to have, if, if you've created a stable relationship to work within, if we've created the framework as a parent or as a, a business leader to work within, then all of these things become topics that we can talk about and address and deal with. But otherwise, what you get is the phenomenon that I think we're experiencing nowadays. I mean, I lived in Wisconsin for many years, and we're the number one state in america in very many not so good ways number one state for binge drinking number one state for duis number one state for a lot of alcohol related problems but that part of that problem is that now i'm away from parental authority or just authority for the first time and i can explore but if, if we haven't created the construct, the framework for our children and our employees to explore within, then we may, find, we may have a bit of a shock.
1: Well, before I even respond to that, I have to tell you, you're reminding me when you were giving me the statistics of Wisconsin, you remind me of an old Saturday Night Live skit when Phil Hartman played Bill Clinton. And by the way, I rest in peace, Phil Hartman. I loved him. He was the best. Tremendous. And I remember there was a skit when they had him going into a McDonald's restaurant as Bill Clinton and a, a, a voter came up to him and asked a question, and, and in Bill Clinton's voice, he said, you know, I want to tell you, Arkansas is 47th in literacy in the United States. <laughs> so anyways, um, so listen, you know, here's, here's what's interesting to me, Joe, about what you're saying. Um, you know, when, when kids go off to college, and I see this as such a tie into leadership, so many parents feel this empty nest, this sense of loss, right? Absolutely. And so what's interesting is I see it as, and I've had two of my kids go, go to college. I still have one, but I see it as a transition as opposed to a loss. So when you have kids in high school, you've de- they've developed a dependence on you. You've developed uh, a feeling of control over them. And all of a sudden, they're not going to be coming to you necessarily for the same things they already did. You, you, you know, what you can depend on, what they can depend on. And here's the point I'm trying to make. It almost seems like when you become a virtual parent at the college level, it's a point of transition, not a point of loss. And one of the things about being an effective parent, Joe, that so is about being an effective leader that I think people miss all the time is, don't you feel like as a parent, you always have to stay one step ahead of your kids? You know, your kids are always evolving. You can't keep using the They they can start to tune you out if they hear the same things over and over. So I see this virtual peace as not a loss of control or a loss of it's 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 an ad- adaptation it's a transition and frankly i think those are great things i think that actually can make you a better leader and a better parent i i would
2: absolutely agree and i think the key is exactly what you just said i think the word is transition right if we think of virtual as a loss either as a parent or as a as, as a business leader, then <laughs> If, if, we think, if we think of these things as a loss instead of a transition, then we're going uh, it, to, it, it's going to, this is one of the things that I want us to get into at one point, is the idea of what does what, what our mindset become? If I think I'm losing something, I'm losing control, I'm losing connection, I'm losing their love, I'm losing something, right? Fill in the blank, whatever it is I'm losing. If I think I'm losing it, then that's going to be one of the really big determinant factors into how I address the
1: situation. Okay, and on that note, before we go to break, I just want to warn our listeners, if you change the dial or if you stop listening to the show, that will be a loss, not a transition. (laughs) Okay, so thank you for listening to the Mindset Go radio show. We'll be right back after the break.
0: Kate continues on full service radio, eight thirty
1: WCRN. Once again, here's your host, Mark Altman. Okay, welcome back to I Communicate um, with Mark Altman. I'm here with Joe Lyman and our favorite producer Ted. And you know, I, 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 Joe really, I thought beautifully alluded to it in our last segment talking about mindset. And what's interesting um, is one of the things about mindset that I get aggravated about especially with kids in schools, is, you know, schools are always touting a growth mindset. We should have a growth mindset around the social-emotional learning and growth mindset. And I really get annoyed when I go into school and see core values plastered on the wall like eye candy. It's just so annoying because I never see any enforcing of those core values. But that's for another day. Where I'm going with this is, for those of you who don't know what growth mindset is, it means, well, it means a lot of things. But it means learning from your mistakes, embracing mistakes, growing from your mistakes, and things like that, to put it in simple terms for now. Um, I use, when I do training, I often use the expression an applicability mindset. I want people, when they learn something, to be thinking about how they can apply what they learned and be in that frame of mind. And when I was, actually was reading a blog this morning that talked about having a choice mindset. And what I like about the term choice mindset is, let's face it, we have choices. Every day we make decisions and choices about what we do. So with that said, Joe, we could talk all day long about certain competencies and things that involve with virtual leadership, but your point is it all starts with mindset. So talk about that a bit.
2: Well, I mean, you were, you were just touching on a subject and you talk about applicability and you talk about the, what's on the walls in the school's. But there's – in my opinion, what I've seen is that there's an element missing to this conversation in many cases. So we talk about we want children to to attempt and and we tell them that it's okay to fail. But what we don't tell them in in many if not most cases – unfortunately, this is a little bit of a reflection on on not just public education but the way we raise children and and employees in general, if I can use that word – is that we don't tell them that it's okay to fail – It's not okay to stop if you fail. In order for failure to become useful and valuable, you have to continue to success, right? And and what we've discovered over the last – roughly over the last five to ten years in terms of neurological activity and neuroplasticity, and there's some wonderful books about about this topic by Carol Dweck and some other authors, is that it is actually – Um, affecting your brain in a very positive way if you encounter difficulties and continue and push through them?
1: Okay, so Joe, here's the question, right? So when I think of all the change that everybody's experiencing with in their individual lives, their families, the world, so on and so forth. So picture this, picture I'm a leader at a company. I'm in the process of transitioning to learning a whole new set of skills and competencies around virtual leadership. Could you walk through our audience around if the mindset isn't right, what are the side effects of how it affects them being effective leader if they can't get their mindset right?
2: I think the first problem is that they're going to fail to see options right? We as human beings suffer from either a mild case of tunnel vision or a major case of tunnel vision. And if, we're, if we think this enterprise that we've engaged in is doomed to failure or isn't going to make any difference, or this is only a short-term phenomenon, I don't have to put any energy into the idea of virtual training or virtual employees or anything else, then we immediately, the, 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 our case of tunnel vision gets worse. Right? Our illness increases dramatically. And so we stop looking at viable alternatives. And the other thing we stop doing is we stop listening to opportunities that the individuals experience this present to us. So so the uh, in, in a sense that if the employee, let's say we issue this ultimatum, we're going to go virtual, but the employees are having difficulty with some aspect of it. We say, no, you're just going to have to get used to it. But that's the wrong mindset. The mindset should be, okay, we're attempting this. We want to make it as good as possible. We're running into some, you're running into some issues. Now I have to start doing the most important thing. And you mentioned this in one of our conversations. You said you have to ask questions, but now if I'm going to really be a good leader and help you adjust to this new situation I have to say how's it going
1: what's happening in your world okay so I have a couple of thoughts Joe on what you said and first of all I just need to say that um, you just got me smiling about something because one of the things I talk about I'm a big sports guy and I and I do programs in schools with sports teams and coaches and one of the things I always say when I get coaches in front of me and Joe I don't know if you've ever heard me say this before but I say Every time you utter the phrase, just shake it off, I really want to stick my head in an oven. Because just get used to it. Just shake it off. Those are such empty, meaningless phrases that mean absolutely nothing and do virtually no good. And frankly, for the coaches out there who are thinking, well, that's not true. Because when I say that, I find my players are able to go right back out and play again, I would say, well, maybe you got instant gratification out of it. But the long-term impact of people not being able to know how to express and feel what's going on right now, you're going to have more long-term impact because they weren't able to work through it because you think you did your job when you said just shake it off. Now, where I'm going, I want to, I want to add to what Joe said because I want to give our audience an example of what Joe's talking about with the tunnel vision and the lack of viable alternatives. So I have a colleague of mine, I run a masterminds group where I have, I facilitate a lot of business owners come and we we have monthly meetings. And I have a colleague of mine who called me up yesterday. And he was just so wound up, he was telling me about, he went on for 10 minutes about how about Black Lives Matter and COVID and the police and hospitals and politics. And he was just going on and on and on. And I said to him at the end, I said, geez, you know, I know this isn't the most million-dollar advice and everything, but, you know, the thing I try to do is I try to not worry about things I can't control. And so he said, oh, I know, right, that's really good advice. And I said, but here's what I want to tell you that I don't think you're thinking about. And this is what Joe, part of what Joe was alluding to, in my opinion, when you get frustrated about things that you can't control, such as what's going on in the world, what you may not realize will all often happen is it will trigger reminders for you of all the things in your actual life that you can't control. So it starts, you start perseverating and start ruminating in your mind and, you'll, and then you realize, well, I don't like my job and I don't like my boss and I don't like my partner and I don't like my friends. And then all these things come in this big pile and exacerbate the situation. So when Joe talks about the mindset and knowing viable opportunities and seeing things in a clear and straight way, that to me is a big point. I used to say to my, my, my son, my oldest son, he used to, I used to give him a chore list of things when would come home. I would walk in the house and the first thing I would notice is either the garbage wasn't taken out or the dishes weren't done. And so you know what I did when that happened? Then I was on the lookout. For all the other things he may not have done, so I just—it it just triggered. Oh well, you didn't do that. Well, I wonder if you did that. I wonder if you did that really well. So I think, I think the mindset piece—it might sound really like fruity and out there, and I mean, God forbid we 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 value mental and emotional health, but it's really important. And and Joe, you know, I think that this, this viable alternative thing—I think you're so on to something because. You may not articulate it exactly that way, but that's exactly what's happening. I, I could not agree with you more. And just to let you know one
2: particular personal aspect of mine, I was the recipient of Shake It Off from oh, from from the coach. So sorry. And,
1: <laughs> and well, so wait, wait, what, what did you, before you go on, so when that happened... What went through your mind? Like, literally, I mean, you didn't know now what you know. You didn't know then what you know now, but.
2: Yeah. Um, if, if I could have gotten up and, and kicked him in the shins because he was about six foot six and that was all I could reach because I was still very. This was during elementary school, I, I would have done, or middle school, I would have done that. I, I, I just like, because, because in the end, that get, you said you can get that immediate response. You're absolutely correct. What you can get is, uh, is complicity, but you can't get cooperation. Wow, and, that's a great point. And that's the key, right? Do we want complicity from our employees or do we want cooperation? Because you can't have them both, right? So uh, in, in a sense, uh, and the other thing is when you're talking about mindset, uh, a very wise individual once told me this. He said, what you think today, you say tomorrow and you do the day after. <laughs> And as a result, if you come home with the mindset on Monday of checking to see if he dumped the trash, of checking to see if the dishes are done, then you're going to start to get into that. And then by the end of the week, you're going to have created that habit, that pattern, and you're going to have this systematic idea of your job now as dad is to make sure he did his chores, except that that's about 2% of the dad job.
1: Well, and a final thought as we go into our second break is – I think I think part of it too is like you know when your mind is not right, and you know if your attitude isn't in the right place, or you're not thinking clearly, or you're so dwelling in, in in your your fear around change or your adaptation to change, you just can't be as an effective professional or person as you'd like to be, whether you're a leader or not. So when we come back, we're gonna we're gonna get into a little bit around um, talking about some of the the habits in virtual leadership that are really important. And uh, if you'd like to call into the show, it's 508-871-7000. For Joe Lyman, I'm Mark Altman. We'll be right back.
0: Continues on Full Service Radio,
1: 830 WCRN. Once again, here's your host, Mark Altman. Okay, welcome back to I Communicate Again, if you'd like to call into the show, it's 508 871 7000. And I know this is going to shock our audience, but Joe seems to have a different opinion than me about something. I can't even imagine someone could disagree with me. So, Joe, what? what what's Ted? Can you imagine this? Oh, well, bring it on. Seriously, I want to hear. What's it. this all hear, yeah. about? Okay, I, go I'm, ahead.
2: I'm a little afraid now. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I have my finger on the button. <laughs> <laughs> so so you, you said something that was interesting. As you started to say, you know when your mind is like this, that it creates problems. And, and as you were – you know how your head moves faster than your mouth does sometimes? As you said that first part, my, my instinctive reaction was, yeah, but we don't know our mind. And, and you're, I think you are absolutely correct when you when you notice that people who notice this – realize they have a problem. They realize they're thinking of it in, through tunnel vision, right, through blinders. They're looking at it in a certain way. But my observation is that all too often we don't notice how we're looking at things. We don't notice how closed off our mindset has uh, allowed us to become, right? You, you come home, you see the dishes aren't done, the, the trash isn't done. But that becomes the focus. But that's not the point. And in fact, that's never the point in the workplace. No, no. It's not about the specific particular instance in, in 99 out of 100 times. But are we understanding what people are going through? Are we understanding what they have to deal with in their workplace situation? And now the changes of working from home. Imagine your three-year-old walks in on you 52 times a day.
1: Well, that's, that's a, actually a perfect segue Because, you know, when I I hear Joe talk about that, you know, one of the things about this virtual transition is this bucket of guidance, or excuse me, um, support, feedback, guidance, right? Because there's an out-of-sight, out-of-mind element that goes on, right? Which is what we were talking about at the top of the show. So now, now let's take virtual leadership out, out of the equation for a second. Let's just talk about leadership in general, okay? So to me, how many of you listeners out there have actually asked your team what they need for support and guidance. Like, just actually ask an open-ended question. Like, so, you know, you're working on projects, you're working on tasks, you have different challenges. How can I best provide support and guidance as you go through this? And part of the problem with the question is that most people, many people struggle to advocate for themselves, even recognize when they need help, when they should be asking for help, if they want help. And so this is one of the challenges, Joe, that I see around you. You know, you're talking about an awareness element, which is so critical. But how does the leader who is used to walking by someone's office and popping in and saying something or asking a question or they can pop by your office, now they actually have to prioritize FaceTime or they have to prioritize the support element of their job. And to me, that, that's mindfulness to a T,
2: well, I, I think you hit on it directly, and I mean, think about it as trainers. And, and this is something that I will often ask a group of people that I'm working with if I'm facilitating, and I will say, if if you're if if I have put three of the people in the room asleep to sleep, if I have killed two by PowerPoint, and four of them have left to go to the restroom and didn't return, but the manager, the boss, the CEO walks into the room at the end of the day and says, "Hey, everybody, how was the training?" they will all go, wow, this was great, yeah, yeah, thanks so much for, the, for, for a good day of training. Because we don't create an open conversation and that becomes part of the problem. You said people sometimes have difficulty advocating for themselves and in the workplace this becomes a phenomenon that must be uh, that we have to have an awareness of and that we have to be dealing with because if if you as a manager are going to ask the question, how can I help you do your job? How can I help support you? What can I do to help you do your job better? And ask it and get a real answer instead of no, no, everything's good because who wants to be the one to go, "Uh, I'm having a time with this. You know, when Alan Mulally first took control of Ford Motor Company, he would do the EVPs and the SVPs. Now, mind you, this is a multi-billion dollar multinational corporation. These guys are, you know, the highest paid executives in the company. And he said, what I want everybody to do is to bring their concerns in folders. He said, if it's, if it's, everything's great, it should be in a green folder. If there are things that are questions, uh, please bring it in a yellow folder. And if there are problems, please use a red folder. But for the first three meetings, Every
1: folder was green. Well, okay. So, so Ted, I want to ask you a question. Sure. I want to ask you, when you hear the word, let's play word association for a minute, because okay. we're going to build off what Joe was just talking about. The word accountability, what immediately pops into your mind when you think of accountability?
0: Responsibility.
1: Regarding? Actions and words. Okay. And don't you, don't you guys feel we often tie in accountability? It's, it's most often around mistake making, you know, owning mistakes and not making excuses and being responsible for that. Would you agree that's a common bucket of accountability? I, I think when that's-
0: speaking ag- about the past, yes.
2: Yep. And I think that's key. So Malali actually looked around the room on the third week and said, guys, let me see if I understand this. We're scheduled to lose $18 billion this year and nobody has a red folder? I mean this and and you these are guys who get paid to fix mistakes and they were reluctant to be the first person to show the new leader that there was some aspect in their part of the organization that needed help or
0: or you've heard about kill the messenger, right?
1: Exactly. Well and so this is what I wanted to bring up is so accountability is often around actions, but I want to talk about accountability around behaviors, specific behaviors because as a virtual leader or as a parent, you have to be responsible for knowing what your team needs. You have to be responsible for not being out of sight, out of mind. So it's not that you're necessarily making a tangible mistake if you're not meeting with your team on a regular basis, because let's face it, everybody has different values of how to lead and how to manage, but that's just a different kind of accountability is being responsible for your behaviors, knowing the things that you selflessly you need to do for your children or your team or whatever. But I don't think we think about accountability in that way enough.
2: Well, no, and I think Ted hit it exactly when he said we talk about the past, right? I mean, the average human being spends so much time contemplating the past, which they can't change, or worrying about the future, which isn't written in stone in any way, shape, or form, that they fail to see the opportunities that confront them in the present. And, and this is, I think, exactly what we're talking about here. I mean, even the idea of how we hold people accountable. You know, as a sports guy, you may be familiar with this. Tom Landry, when he took over the, uh, the Dallas Cowboys, he had a completely different perspective. They were using game films. Every, every football coach used game films. But they were looking at the mistakes that they had made. Landry did it from an, the exact other side of the picture. He gave people films of what they were doing well when they'd committed a great play. And he asked them when they watched it, how can you repeat the success that you had? So it's, uh, he used the past as a storehouse of experience as opposed to a straitjacket of mistakes.
1: That's awesome. That's a great story. I mean, and that's growth mindset to a T right there, right? Absolutely. And, and the, and the parent tie in
2: here is a story that I heard many years ago, and it, it still continues to this day to have an influence on me, both as a parent and a leader. And it was the story of a little girl about four years old who'd gone to the refrigerator and took a gallon of milk out. And she dropped it, of course, as a four-year-old is wont to do in these circumstances. And her mother walked in. And when I tell this story, I always ask people, what do you think the mother did? And the answers range from, you know, uh, selling the child uh, to, uh, you know, into economic slavery to, you know, spanking her to whatever. But what this parent did was very different. She said, well, why don't you and I clean up the milk? She says, and then what we'll do is we'll take a gallon jug and we'll fill it full of water and we'll go outside in the backyard and we'll see if we can work on a strategy that will help you hold the milk jug when it's full without spilling it.
1: Well, you know, I, I think ultimately what it comes down to is, you know, when we talk about comparing leadership and parenting, there are so many facets and, you know, one of the ones I want to get to a little bit is setting expectations. Because one of the challenges, I think, in communication, which creates so much communication ambiguity, is um, effectively setting expectations. And one of the things that I see happen a lot is we will express frustration with others. And let me give you an example. Um, Productivity, right? If you're not in front of someone, you don't see them coming in early and leaving late, there starts to become huge questions of productivity. What are they doing at home? Are they really working? Are they playing with their kids? Are they outside on walks? What are they doing? And so what I see happen, guys, is when it comes to setting expectations, we will, tend, we will recognize we've become frustrated about something. But then we'll, we'll have that inner voice conversation. We'll go, well, I don't, I don't think I'm going to bring it up. I don't want to be a micromanager. Or I don't want to be that person. I don't want to pick that battle. And so we just convince ourselves to not even address our frustration. Now, this may happen two, three, four times, and by the fourth fourth time, our level of frustration's up here, and then you're now communicating from a level four point of frustration where if you had just articulated your expectations and your concerns from the get-go, it would have saved everybody a whole a whole hell of a problem. So point I'm making is I think this, this aspect of setting expectations is from a virtual point of view. If you are walking around your office questioning people's productivity, are are they doing their job, are they contributing, then what I say to you is this problem existed long before virtual leadership came into effect, long before COVID came. Because that tells me you didn't do a good job establishing expectations when they were at the office, never mind when they weren't.
2: And that is, I think, spot on in terms of uh, um, the reality of our situation today. Somebody said recently, uh, referring to the broader social situation, that COVID didn't create anything. It simply revealed things.
1: Oh, I love that.
2: And I, and I think there's a, a very real aspect of this in management. V- virtual management doesn't, doesn't create not create new problems. Uh, It it may create some issues of its own, but it doesn't so much create new problems as it does reveal underlying ones that we haven't been addressing. And and while you were talking, and and actually you, you just inspired me, I hope sometime we'll do a show on feedback. Because it's, this is a huge deal because one of the things that often happens in the scenario you described, somebody's operating at level four frustration levels, right? I mean, this is where they start to need a hazmat suit before they can talk to people. Um, They have decided to pick the most wrong time to have the conversation that you can imagine. Like the last moment, the last time, the the, the last, um, what's the word I'm looking for here? Uh, the, this is not the opportunity to do this. You need to pick a time when there's nothing on the table, when you are not emotionally distraught. If you're angry that an employee has come in late, the time to have the conversation is not the fourth or fifth or sixth time the employee comes in late. You are in no emotional uh, composition to be able to have this conversation because you've been thinking about it for the last five times they came in late and now you're going to act on it. But the problem is it's exactly the wrong time to do it.
1: Joe, as usual, you beautifully segue topics for us. So we're going to go into our Break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about leadership restraint. For Joe Lyman, I'm Mark Altman. We'll be right back.
0: continues on full-service radio,
1: 830 WCRN. Once again, here's your host, Mark Altman. Okay, welcome back to I Communicate here with Joseph Lyman and uh, my buddy and producer Ted. And, you know, before we get into this segment, I just want to remind everybody, you know, we do get emails from time to time. I get shout-outs on social media. You know, what we do at Mindset Go is we really help people at a very high level improve their communication skills. And let's face it, you know, when you look at yourself as an individual, when you look at yourself as a part of a team or an organization, there are so many fundamental areas of communication and it's such a broad topic that it's really hard to capture everything. But, you know, we really focus on leadership and sales and internal and external communication. So if there is something that we can help you with, please reach out to us, info at mindsetgo.com. Uh, 978-206-1535, and we'd be happy to support you. We're talking about leadership restraint, and I want to give a very specific example because I can't think of a better example that is current related to leadership restraint. And I know Joe feels this way too. You know, I find when Joe or I do a training or work with companies, I um, One of my thought processes here is these trainings sometimes are as short as an hour, sometimes they could be half day, it just varies. But the point is, when you are sitting in a learning environment for a long period of time, it really takes you out of your comfort zone regardless, because you can't do your normal habits you normally do, which may be to check your phone every minute or check your email or so on and so forth. So I have a tendency when I do training to encourage people to keep their phone out because my attitude is, if you need to check your phone for peace of mind so you don't have anxiety every 20 or 30 minutes, then go ahead and do it. You're not going to offend me. you know. As long as you're participating and you're engaged and you're focusing on getting something out of this, then knock yourself out. Here's my point. Now we're doing virtual engagement more than ever. Zoom meetings, company meetings, sales calls, and so on and so forth. And one of the things, Joe, I hear all the time is how frustrating it is When people are shutting off their video on a Zoom call or shutting off their microphone, there begins to get an implication that they're not really present and they're doing something else, and it feels a sign of disrespect. And what fascinates me about that is I've been asking leaders recently to challenge their thought process and ask themselves why, frankly, they even at times want to do Zoom calls instead of a phone call. And I ask that question because my point is, is this big brother watching? Because if you can see their face, you can get the peace of mind that you know they're present and participating, whereas a phone call, who the heck knows what they're doing in the background when they're on the phone? So I feel like it's almost an attempt at micromanagement.
2: And I think you're spot on. And I I think the reality is – why? How to say? We have to ask a deeper question of the people who are of the leaders who are experiencing this, right? Who feel this need to check on, who feel the need to, uh, uh, to to know what's happening in the background, so to speak. And the question is, why do you feel this way, right? This I think this this mindset has to be challenged because it's an indication of a of a
1: deeper problem
2: that's unaddressed.
1: Well, and, and frankly one of the big problems with the virtual interaction now is people are interaction interacting virtually socially and not just professionally. So they're on screens all the time, regardless of what they're doing. So here's the thing, Joe, and this is what I want to hear from you about is my point is that if you are having a meeting and you feel people aren't engaged or invested, whatever that type of meeting is, and you get triggered, you know, we're talking about restraint as a leader, You get triggered from your point of view, what should the message be? What should the thought process be for that leader? If they can process that emotion at that time, what should be going through their head?
2: Well, again, the first thing to be aware of is when not to have the conversation. So you're sitting there and you're realizing you're a little bit stressed about this. And what you shouldn't do is 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 go, hey, is everybody paying attention here? Do you guys all understand how important this is? Yeah, this is exactly the wrong thing to do. First of all, because you're sending the message to uh, the let's say the 95 percent of the population that you're speaking to who are paying attention, they're like, what? I, I don't understand. that I do? First of all, did I do something wrong? Are you just? Why are you unhappy about? This? this. So it it it's one of those ready fire aim moments. And and we can't do that. So but we have to do is have the conversation before. Right? And say, "Hey, we're going to try. So let's 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 do this." There's a perfect example with a company that uh, the CEO banned phones from the room, from the from meetings. Except that that didn't actually change anything cuz he couldn't keep people from using their digital watches. So what they finally agreed on was that people could have their technology available exactly as you say you do when when you're when you're doing some training when you're facilitating, um, but they said we will keep the meeting brief to the point. We will only have the people that need to be in the meeting at the meeting, and we will make it. And we will agree beforehand to be present to the meeting and what's going on. Because once you do that, once you have the conversation before, you now have something to point to. So if it doesn't happen, you can ask an individual. You can say, hey, I thought we had agreed that we would be present to these, but I'm, I'm sensing that that was not the case. May I ask you if there's a situation with you? So defining terms
0: and establishing operational
2: Framework is the way to go. Uh, in nearly every circumstance, in my experience as a leader and a parent, I,
1: I just, I just have to go back to. I'm now going to refer to these as Lymanisms, <laughs> because I, I just have to say, every time I'm around Joe, not only does he teach me something new, at least one thing new, but there's these expressions he has. I just love them. I mean, think about. If you know anything about emotional intelligence, or if you have any kind of passion around restraint or responding and not reacting, check out the expression "ready, fire, aim." Like, is that not beautiful? I,
2: I can I can't credit it. I can't take credit for it. I can only credit that I've I've had the opportunity in my life to to study with and to learn from some very intelligent, very wise people.
1: But I want to. But I, I like all kidding aside. I want our audience to think about something for a minute related to ready, fire, aim. And it may not be where you expect them going with this. You know, part of being a good teacher, leader, coach, educator, you know what, is putting things in terms, giving people perspective and analogies and metaphors and things like that, that people can actually wrap their arms around what's the real point here. And when you hear ready, fire, aim, you're immediately going to get an image in your head of Wait, that doesn't make any sense at all. I would never go ready, fire, aim. But people do ready, fire, aim all the time and lack the emotional intelligence to do anything different. So, you know, I, I Joe, I have to tell you, you know, I often say th- there are pr- there are three things that if this is all I wanted to teach people, I could get rich instantly if I really enjoyed these three things. One of them is business writing, because there's such a ridiculously huge need to be an effective and creative writer, especially from a sales and marketing perspective. One of them is time management. And one of them, which flies under the radar a lot, is storytelling. And the problem with storytelling, Joe, and let's end on this today. I want to get your feedback on this. You know what I think the biggest problem with storytelling beyond the obvious is? It's the word. Because when people hear storytelling, they picture sitting on their grandfather's lap and hearing a 20-minute long story and they don't realize stories don't have to go on forever and ever and ever. It could be an anecdote. It could be a brief story and whatever. And I think there's like a stigma around the word storytelling. Uh,
2: I think you're correct. And I, the, on the plus side, on the positive side, I think people are recognizing the value of storytelling, in, uh, not only in the workplace but in personal lives as well. And what m- many people may not be aware of is that the human mind thinks in pictures, we don't have words. We just have images. So when you can tell someone a story, you help them create the image that you're, that, that you're trying to, to to convey to them in the simplest, easily, most easily understood manner. And, you know, it's interesting. We were talking about words earlier. But as, as I'm sure our, our listeners can be aware that you and I talk about what we're going to talk about beforehand and we send things back and forth. And you sent something to me that I, I, I think I would be remiss if I didn't include at the end of this. Uh, you said that there are there are really a handful of things we have to do, and they were show them you care, make them feel safe, make them feel confident, develop them, and believe in them. And if there's anything that that applies to children and
1: employees, it's all of those. Well said, Joe. Gray, I, I can't say anything to top that. That's a phenomenal way to end the show. So, Joe, thanks again for joining us. Ted, thank you for everything you do. Uh, for Mark Allman, just again, if you ever want to contact us at mindset, go talk about the show, anything you need info at mindsetgo.com nine, seven, eight, two zero six, one five, three, five Ted left on spitbrook, right on Daniel Webster. <laughs> yes, sir. We'll see you next week.